Reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also, the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may have a seat. One of the uh, joys uh, of being here in Fort Worth and knowing that uh, God's church is not just City Church, we're one expression of it, but that we fellowship uh, in a spiritual sense every Sunday with other brothers and sisters all over this city. Uh, And so obviously this morning we're not in the book of Proverbs, but we have the opportunity to hear from a very good friend of mine, uh, Randy Fuller. And I want to invite Randy Randy up. I want to pray for Randy. Randy is one of the pastors at Northbrook Church, uh, which is a church that was planted in March of 2020. And you probably remember some things that were going on in March of 2020. So just the incredible providence of the Lord and his sustaining hand on Northbrook Church uh, to be, to start in the midst of the pandemic and seeing what the Lord has done in North Fort Worth through the ministry of the saints there, including Randy and Jake Ledet, who is the other pastor at Northbrook. Uh, we love Northbrook. We want to, uh, continue, to continually lay before us here at City Church uh, the other churches in our area that are laboring uh, in the Word of God for His glory, and Northbrook is certainly one of those churches. I've known Randy for a long time. Uh, Randy and I uh, go back like 10 years. Uh, we were both at the Village Church in Fort Worth together. Randy was a worship pastor for many years and then became spiritual formation pastor there at uh, the Village Church before going over and planting Northbrook. And so it's a joy to have Randy with us this morning uh, to preach the Word of God. So what I want to do is pray for Randy and, uh, and then hand it over to him for our time in the Word this morning. Randy, thank you for being here, brother. Love you. Father, thank you for Randy. Uh, thank you for his heart. Thank you for his shepherding heart, uh, for his friendship, and for his uh, love of your bride. And, and that is uh, the latest representation of that for him being here, loving your bride, loving us here at City Church. And so I thank you that he has given of his time and his efforts to uh, read your word, to study it, to understand it more, and then to preach the gospel to us this morning. And I do pray uh, 
uh, that as he brings the word to bear on our hearts, that we would alone see Jesus, that we would see him only. Uh, and I pray that that would be uh, what is on our, all of our hearts and minds in the midst of his message this morning. Pray for Northbrook and pray for the saints that are gathering this morning at the same time we are, that, uh, that you would encourage them, Holy Spirit, that you would bring them closer into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and have their affections all the more stirred. Uh, we are grateful that your body uh, and your church is building and moving and expanding across Fort Worth and to the ends of the earth. We know the, he- the gates of hell will not prevail. Uh, Jesus, you are the head of your body. You are the chief pastor and chief shepherd. And so uh, we, we worship you and we submit to you and we ask that you would loom large in this place. I pray you be with Randy as he opens the word. Thank you for your word and, and what it will do to our hearts. We love you, trust you, and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, well, good morning, City Church. Good to be with you all this morning. Yeah, Jeff and I have, uh, as he said, we've known each other a lot, uh, a lot of time. Uh, there was much less gray hair uh, when we first met. But, uh, man, it's been, I just think about a lot of the things that we have walked through together, serving together uh, for a number of years. And there's a lot of things I could say about Jeff um, that you guys know, just his humility. And um, it, it's funny, I, I didn't. I wasn't over the age of 60, and so I didn't watch CBS 11 news uh, often, and so I, that's not where I caught my weather, and so I didn't even know Jeff was a weatherman for the first, like, three months that I met him. He just was kind of, Jeff, God, I should have known, by the way, he holds the mic, and it's just perfect placement all the time, but uh, no, but, but I'm not going to say that. What I will say about Jeff uh, is, is I have seen that man just walk in a faithfulness uh, that is really rare, unfortunately, but, but just really kind of beyond words. The way that he loves people and the way that he loves and fears the Lord, uh, the way that he shepherds is just a, and he's just a good friend. And I don't need to tell you that because I have no doubt that, that you guys understand that and know that. So uh, yeah, grateful that he is here um, to walk alongside you all. And I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, uh, as, as Jeff said, we, we started uh, Northbrook Church. We launched in, in November, no, November, I wish it was November. Uh, March of 2020, and uh, man, it was, uh, you know, I, I held, I'm glad you guys are in the Proverbs, but I, I held close to that proverb uh, that says, man makes his plans, but the Lord establishes his steps, um, because we did not plan to, I mean, you should have seen our first live stream, man, we didn't know what we were doing, uh, it was like from a phone, and it overheated, and it was awesome. Uh, then we met in a park for a while in a hotel. So anyway, we're finally in a school and walls and air conditioning are awesome. Uh, so I'm glad that you guys have the, the provision here, but, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm really excited to, to be here with you guys. I'm humbled. I'm honored to be here, um, to, to be able to hide behind God's word with you, but I'm really excited about this story. Uh, th- this is one of the more odd stories, uh, kind of as we see in the, in the gospels of the life of Jesus, but it, man, it's one of my favorite ones. Uh, and, and, and so in, in this, as we, we kind of talk through the transfiguration and, and, uh, what is happening here, really my hope is, is that we can look at and see our Savior together, that, that we can see Jesus, we can see him rightly, and that the Spirit would help us to love him just a, a little bit more. 
Um, and so as we get into this, I, so the summer before, I grew up in, in Fort Worth, North Fort Worth, Saginaw area. And in the summer before I went to eighth grade, um, we, we kind of took one more family trip, one last kind of hurrah before one of my sisters got married. Uh, and so I was um, 14, my sisters, they're, they're twins, they were 20, and it, it, we all kind of, all five of us packed into our family minivan and we headed out west to the Grand Canyon. And as you can imagine, a 14-year-old boy and his 20-year-old sisters would have a lot of jokes about traveling so long to see a big hole in the ground. Uh, and so we were the entire time just, just peppering my mom, just giving her so much grief because she had planned the trip. And, uh, and, and man, we were just, yeah, we, we were just uh, giving it yeah, the whole time. So, so after one particular zinger, I remember my dad kind of stopping me and going, hey, because he had been there when he was a kid. He actually almost tackled his brother into the Grand Canyon when they were there, but that's a story for a different sermon. Uh, but, but I remember him pulling me aside and going, hey, I, I know it doesn't seem like it, but when you get there, I think you'll understand. I, I think you'll get it. And so I kind of, you know, shrugged that off and just kind of kept doing what I was doing. And then uh, we, we finally make it to the Grand Canyon. And, and we pull in like probably about an hour before sunset. And so we park and we walk up and, and, and we go up there and man, uh, I, we walk right out to the ridge and, and then suddenly there were no more words. There were no more jokes. There, were, there was no more just information in my head about a hole in the ground. All I could do was stand before and behold its beauty. And, and it was breathtaking. If you've ever been, then, then you know what I'm talking about. If not, you're like, it's just a hole in the ground, but trust me. I, I could just stand there and, and behold its beauty. And so now anytime I tell anybody about the Grand Canyon, I, I don't talk about it as, as just kind of the information that I had, but I talk about it, about me, how I experienced it and, and how it changed me, how it changed my mindset of it. And, and I hope, church, that, that this morning as we encounter this text and, and encounter this story in Jesus, that, that it will transform and, and change uh, or, or strengthen the way that we see Jesus. And that's my hope because I believe that the story will teach us how to see Jesus. And, and it really matters that we see him rightly. It really matters. So this scene in, in scripture, it, it's really reminiscent of a lot of others that we've seen. Right, there's a lot of similarities uh, to different stories. So when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, um, and, and back in Exodus, God covered the mountaintop with a cloud of smoke, uh, and, and he answered Moses in the thunder. And then later in Exodus, Moses sets up what he calls the tent of meeting. Uh, it's just outside the camp, and anytime he went there, it says that he spoke to God face to face as a friend talks to a friend, which I just think is really cool. When they would meet at the tent of meeting, there, there, there was a pillar of cloud that would kind of descend on that. And, and, and through that, I would imagine it's the same pillar of cloud that led the Israelites through the desert, a representation of God being with his people. And then another story, Elijah meets uh, with God on a mountain, and the Lord speaks to him not in the wind, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, but in the sound of a low whisper. And so here again, we find a mountaintop where a cloud descends, where God the Father is found there, 
And not to mention, this is all taking place on a mountain, and all throughout Matthew, uh, we, we read of uh, these encounters, these big things happening on mountains. Jesus' temptation, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, of course, the Great Commission. And this would have all tipped those disciples, Peter, James, and John, off to, to kind of the nearness of God. And the nearness of God to Jesus being a sign and, and kind of linking those two together. So what's, what once in the Old Testament, though, was, was a dark and stormy cloud, it's now a bright white cloud. And, and there's something different about this time. There, there's similarities, but there's something different about this time. God isn't coming to give more commandments or to tell people what rituals they need to go through in, in order to be clean before him. No, he's saying the old is going away and the new is coming. In the verse right before this section, it says that some of the folks standing there with him uh, would not taste death until they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I think Matthew means to kind of connect these stories, uh, even though there was nothing written uh, or recorded for those six days in between there. Uh, but, but I think in, in the same way that he did in chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized, uh, he's showing, hey, God is declaring uh, that this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And, and now anytime God says something more than once, that's, that's a clue for us to cue in. Right? Any times he speaks, but particularly when he repeats himself, that, that, that's for us to pay. He's not repeating himself for himself. I mean, like Jeff said, talking to our kids, like, I, when I tell my kids to back up from the TV over and over and over again, I feel like I'm talking to myself, but I'm not saying that for myself. And so God is saying this. It's a pretty good indicator that we need to listen and heed what he is saying. And what's happening here is that God the Father is pointing out the authority that rests in Jesus. He, he's saying, this is my son. He is the son of God. And then he takes it a step further and, and tells the disciples to listen to him. See, God the Father is setting God the Son up authoritatively here. He, he is saying, my authority rests with him. And Moses is there as a representation of kind of the law and Elijah is there as kind of a representation of the proclamation of God's message. And the disciples would have picked up on this, right? Like these are two like heroes of the faith, right? These are guys that they would have grown up hearing about. They would have probably had their autograph books out, just being like, man, Bartholomew's never going to believe this. Like they're, they're recognizing this. And, and you can see uh, that, that Peter uh, recognized that, but we'll get to that in a moment. But where were Moses's? Mosai, that's several Moseses. Where was the attention of Moses and Elijah? Man, it was solely on Jesus. It was solely fixed upon Jesus, and rightfully so. And so then the text says that Jesus was transfigured before them, or, or, or transformed into something more beautiful, right there before the five of them. And his face began to shine like the sun, and his clothes became as white light. Even Luke, in his account of this story, says it was dazzling white. And if you need help picturing this, think about Revelation 22, verse 5, where it says this, And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord their God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. 
Like, that's crazy. We're not going to need the sun in heaven because Jesus will be our light. And, and then, it, it, to think more upon that, Isaiah says that the sun's going to be ashamed. That's bright. And so Jesus was transfigured before them. And again, this is somewhat of a familiar scene. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain, and you see that kind of same theme here, uh, intimate encounters with God on the mountains. And so Moses goes up there, and when he comes back down, his face he was transfigured, and he was, his face was shining so much that he had to wear a veil because it was freaking everybody out. And so he comes back down, and the Bible says that, uh, that, again, that he had to wear this veil. The difference, though, Moses was simply reflecting the glory of God. It's like the moon. The, the light you see from the moon is actually sunlight, which is kind of just mind-blowing. The moon doesn't have light of its own. It's reflecting the light of the sun. And this is what Moses was doing. He was reflecting the glory of God. The difference here is Jesus is not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. He is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He is radiant and he is beautiful. He is holy and he is glorious. He is the greater Moses, the fulfillment of the prophecy uh, foretold in Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And, and what did God the Father just say to do? Hey, this is my son. Listen to him. And can you imagine witnessing this scene? Just kind of read yourself into the story and, and, and kind of imagine seeing how, just imagine how awesome and how terrifying this whole thing would be. And like Peter, James, and John, think about it from their perspective. Really, in a large part, this, this, this event was for them. Like Jesus invited them into that. He was really gracious to take them up to the mountain and reveal it to him. He didn't, he didn't have to invite him. He didn't have to, and it's not like he had to go up and like recharge his God side. No, he invited them in to, to kind of reveal a little bit more. He wanted to show these guys that because he knew what was going to happen, he wanted to lovingly and graciously bring them along to kind of bolster their confidence in him and, and also to teach them more of who he is. He was showing them that he is God, but he also knew they'd get a lesson in knowing that he is the son of man too. And so now is just a good time to kind of pause and, and think about, man, how do you see Jesus? How, how, how do you see him? Do you see him as, as just a, a good teacher, as the son of man? Like fully human, yeah. He was a good guy, did some great things. Or do you, do you see him as only God? As only the son of God? That he's disappointed, scowling, looking at how you messed up again. It matters how they saw Jesus, and church, it matters how we see him too. Man, what do, you, what, what do you think that story, that conversation was like between Jesus and Moses and Elijah? I love thinking about that. Luke 9, actually, it, it tells us, it has an account of this story too, and it, and it tells us that the three of them were talking about Christ's departure or, or his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They're, they're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about him being raised. They're talking about him being ascended. They're talking encouraging and, and receiving encouragement. Just think about that for a second. 
Like Jesus was being encouraged and edified by brothers in the faith. And wouldn't you love to read a transcript of that conversation? And, and it's a really important piece of the story because it, it shows Christ's humanity in, in a really unique way. Like there's something about seeing old friends and family that can just minister to your heart in a really sweet way, isn't there? Yeah. You ever have those moments when you, you've got a hard day coming up or you just need some encouragement surrounding it, you need some advice, you need some bolstering before walking into that? Maybe it's the anniversary of a tragic event in your life. Maybe it's a hard conversation with a coworker or a family member that you don't know or that you know is coming up. Listen, if I can just encourage you, I, I know the instinct to hold those things closely. I, I know the instinct to kind of play that close to the vest. I know that, that there is a, a, a fear there oftentimes of inviting people in. But I just wonder what kind of encouragement and ministry that we could experience by walking through these things with one another with our community. And it's just incredible to see here that Christ sought that out. He went up to the mountain. I would encourage us to do that as well. Because listen, if there was ever anyone who was ever self-sufficient in this area, I would imagine it would be Jesus. Yet he, he models vulnerability here in a really beautiful way. And, and he's not ashamed of it and it is not a weakness. There's something about receiving encouragement from people who really know you and get you. And think about it. I mean, Jesus walked the earth with his disciples who kind of got it, right? But man, don't you think it warmed his heart to see Moses and Elijah again? Hmm. To be encouraged by two brothers that had been through it and they saw in full. They, they got it. Peter kind of gets it. He kind of gets it. And look, it, it's really easy to kind of bag on Peter or look down your nose at him because he just does some dumb stuff sometimes. But I do dumb stuff. You do dumb stuff. If we were in that position, we would have done the same dumb stuff, maybe dumber stuff. But you see, you see that he recognizes something divine is happening in this moment. You, you, you see that there's something going on. And apparently that's a lot easier for him than, than some others because just last chapter, uh, Peter confessed that Jesus was the son of God and he tried to rebuke Jesus for saying that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer and he gets called Satan. I mean, I've been called some stuff. I've never been called Satan, thankfully, at least in my faith. Then, just a few chapters after this, he's going to cut off the priest's ear to try to prevent Jesus from being arrested. See, Peter sees Jesus as the Son of God, and that's commendable. Like, like Jesus even tells him, yeah, you're right, and it's not flesh and blood that's revealed that to you. Like, it's, it's commendable that he sees him in this way, and he works to try to exalt him in that way, because Peter, man, he's all about that glory, He's all about it. He wants to lift Jesus up in a way that glorifies him, but he's missing something. I love the way commentator Matthew Henry, he says this, there's a proneness in good men to expect the crown without the cross. Peter didn't see that, that it's the cross that secures the crown. These things are, these things are connected. As Peter wanted to build tents so that this mountaintop experience would last. But he was forgetting about everyone down there in the valley. And he was forgetting about everybody down there that needs the presence of Jesus as much as Peter did. 
Sometimes it's hard for us to be mindful of others when things are going so well for us, isn't it? Again, and I, I think it's really easy to, to rag on Peter, but Mark 9 also has an account of this story, and it also tells us that, that Peter said that because he didn't know what else to say since they were terrified. And as we so often do in fear, we run back to things that we shouldn't, right? We, we reach out for comfort elsewhere. We run back to old habits instead of running to the one who fulfills. Aren't you so grateful that we have a God that interrupts our terrible plans at times? I, I love this. One of my favorite parts of this, this section is, is that Peter was still speaking. He's coming up with this plan, and he says he was still speaking when God interrupted him. And I'm so grateful for that. Because Peter shouldn't have been building tents. He shouldn't have been thinking in that way. That's tabernacle theology. That's, that's old school. That's where they used to go to a certain place to be in the presence of God. But the beauty, is Jesus, uh, the beauty of Jesus is that we don't have to go to this mountain or that mountain or this tabernacle or that tabernacle or this church or that church. We don't have to go there to be in the presence of God anymore. God has come to live with us. And he came not just to be the son of God, but also to be the suffering son of man. See, it mattered how Peter saw Jesus. And again, it matters how we see him as well. Because see, where Peter saw here in part, there, there's also a danger of just not seeing at all. Uh, or, or seeing him, again, just as man. Because when they walked down the mountain, naturally they were talking about what just had happened. And Jesus tells them not to tell anybody uh, about what happened until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, why would he do that? Maybe it was protect them from pride. Yeah, maybe. I mean, definitely a possibility. If I were a disciple, I would have been jealous that I didn't get to see that. Might be possible. But I think, I think he's telling them this because he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer. That's a non-negotiable part of his mission here on earth. He had to set his face and go to Jerusalem and suffer. And if word got out of what just happened, it might make it a little bit more difficult. It wasn't his time to be exalted and lifted up among the nations just yet. Again, he had to be both the son of God and the son of man. And not seeing that is dangerous. Again, only seeing him as a son of man, things can go badly. And then look at John the Baptist. Matthew added this really helpful piece in the text, which I'm glad he did. Uh, but he adds this kind of information about the prophecy of Elijah must come first and, and how that actually points to John the Baptist. And so I just want to be re real clear. Uh, if you're new to Christianity, you're just kind of here checking things out. We don't believe in reincarnation. John the Baptist is not reincarnated as Elijah. Uh, but, but what he's saying here is, is he's, he's come in the spirit uh, of Elijah on the same mission as Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. He, he was restoring people from religiosity to the way of the Lord, and people didn't recognize him. In Matthew eleven eighteen 18 and 19, it says this, for John, that's John the Baptist, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, well, he has a demon. The son of man came exalted, or excuse me, came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
See, Jesus is saying here, hey, they didn't recognize John the Baptist, and they're not going to recognize me. They did whatever they pleased with John the Baptist, and what pleased them was to have him beheaded, as we learn a few chapters after this, or excuse me, a few chapters before this. Again, the, the, the kindness of Jesus to try to prepare his disciples for what was to come. Is it inviting them into this? And now, here, when I think about this story, this story, which I, again, I said it uh, meant to help us see Jesus rightly, the Son of God and the Son of Man, like this story is found in uh, what are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? But it's not found in the gospel of John, which is crazy because John was there. I mean, that's that John, Peter, James, and John. And he didn't write about this story. Jesus had already risen from the dead, and so he was certainly free to tell. Peter talked about it. In, in 2 Peter 1, he says that they heard the voice and were with Jesus on the holy mountain. So why would John not have told this story? Because listen, we love to tell stories, right? And we love to tell people that we were at big events, right? On November 22nd, 1963, JFK rolled through Fort Worth on his way to Dallas, and they let Fort Worth ISD out, and my dad stood on a curb as JFK rolled by on his way to Dallas to get assassinated. You think I've heard that story a few times? I mean, we love to share these types of stories. So why didn't John do that? See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke inform us of this story. But this story informs the way that John writes about Jesus. It informs the way that he sees Jesus. And I actually think he does tell this story. But not in the way that we might expect. And I want us to see this together. So turn with me to John 1 if you have your Bible. Beloved, here we are standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Let's behold this beauty together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the what? Light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. In fact, they did with him whatever they pleased. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and, and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through who? Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Church, this is our Jesus, the light of the world. And, and, and through the lens of the transfiguration, we see that he's both God and the Christ. That's not his name, that's his title. Christ is not his name, it is his title. And if he is only God, if he is only the Son of God, pure, holy deity, if he is only this, we have no hope. We have no hope because we have no way to him. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough things. We can't earn our right standing with him. If he is only God, we have no hope. But if he is only one or the other, if he's only man, we have no hope because he was simple just like the rest of us. If we see him as only one or the other, we have no hope. But praise God, he is both and we do have hope. And we have to see him as such. And so again, brothers and sisters, how do you see him? Just think, think about it. Think, take stock of your life. How do you see him? Are you seeing him just as Peter saw him? Willing to exalt him and walk in his glory comfortably? Or do you see him as the world saw him? Just a good man, a good teacher, somebody you have information about. Somebody trying to start an uprising. Either way, we, we've got to have the Holy Spirit. We've got to beg the Holy Spirit to, to uh, fundamentally change the way that we see Jesus. To either change how we see him or to keep us from losing our sight. So how do we see him? How do you currently see him? Do we see him as both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God? Because think about it. What might this church look like if we saw him this way? What, what, what might your neighborhood look like? What might this neighborhood look like? What, what if we took seriously more fighting sin and confession and repentance, and people seeking healing? Like, think about it. What, what if the worst people in your office came to know Christ simply because you talked about him? Like, we, we talk about what we behold. And so what do you talk about? What are you an ambassador for? What gets you excited what do you love to talk to people about? And what if it was Jesus? Because it definitely needs to be. Listen, City Church cannot just be another inward-facing little kingdom, little K kingdom building church. You can't just come here and, and be molded and shaped by the gospel, by the word of God, by his spirit, and then leave unaffected and unchanged. And live nothing like honoring Jesus in your life between Sundays. 
That's not following Jesus. You might look like a follower of Jesus here on Sundays, but, but if you're not actually loving him, actually following him, after actually pressing into him outside of these walls, this, this, is, this is not it. This is not fully what it's about. Like the Lord gathers us on Sundays and he molds us and shapes us by his word, but this isn't the end result. We don't just stay on the mountain and build tents. We don't just have church all Sunday and then all Monday and all Tuesday. We're going to, and that day is going to be awesome, but that's not now. And listen, I I know you don't know me, I don't know you, but I still want to say the hard things. If your lifestyle is not matching up with what you're doing here and what we're learning here and what we're seeing here and talking about here and singing here, then you're not a follower of Jesus. But he invites you to be. Do you see him? Do you see him as beautiful, as the son of man and the son of God? Because again, this is not the main point. This is a beautiful thing, but, but that's why, if you study the Reformation, that's why the Reformers ripped the roofs, roofs off of the monasteries, not because they were solely against the practices there, but because they knew it wasn't meant to stay in there, because God wants to reshape and remold the world through his church, and that can't just happen in these walls. It's supposed to go to the nations in our neighborhoods to remind people of the beauty of Jesus. And when we go out, what are we to tell them? I think we get a pretty good picture of this back in Matthew 17, verses six through eight. So Peter, James, and John, they're, they're there and they're met with the glory of God and it's radiating from Jesus and they hear the Father's voice and they're terrified. And again, I mean, wouldn't you be? Like this whole situation, man, you're up there on a mountain, you see two dead guys, your best friend lights up like a light bulb and there's a talking cloud, like, come on, that's terrifying. And so you see this, they, that alone is enough to have them trembling, but, but then beyond that, they know that the talking cloud is God. And in that situation, they do what anyone else will do. They fall on their face in worship and in fear. And friends, this is us. Guys, when we see ourselves in light of a holy God, we have reason to be fearful. It's kind of like, you know how you're driving and you think you have a clean windshield until you turn into the sun at that one angle? It shows how dirty it is. This, this, is, this is God illuminating this. Us in the presence of a holy and perfect God shows us how much we're not. It's all of us in light of God. We failed to live up to his standards. We're so dirty and sinful, in fact, that, it, that, that we find ourselves separated from God. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. Ephesians 2 says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And I love what Jesus does here when the disciples are laying face down, terrified. I love what he does. He walks over to them. He bends down and he touches them and he says, rise 
and have no fear. Rise and have no fear. We see a beautiful picture of Jesus mediating between people and God the Father. You see, our sin is such an offense to God's holiness that, that it cannot go unpunished. And, and as a just judge in a courtroom could not declare innocence where evidence proves otherwise, God cannot pardon or just overlook our sin. It has to be dealt with. And so here's Jesus giving a picture of what's to come. Here's Jesus saying, I'm here. I will mediate. I will absorb the wrath of God. And you can rise and have no fear. He's the son of God, but he's also the son of man, the suffering savior. And the punishment that should have been ours was given to him instead. He, he took our place and he stood condemned, dying the death that we deserve to die. And God's wrath against sin was poured out on him, not on those of us who would repent and believe. He died the death we deserved, though sinless, and he rose again from the dead to show his authority and his victory over sin and death. And not only that, but then his righteousness is then accredited to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled to God. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God. Church, is this how you see Jesus? Is this how you see Jesus? Because it matters. And listen, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you're just trying to figure out what all this stuff is, I, I, I ask you to consider what the Lord might be telling you today. It's not an accident. We don't believe in accidents. We don't believe in coincidences. We believe the Lord drew you here to hear his very message of grace. There is a way, and it is only Jesus. Because when Jesus touched his disciples and, and told them to rise and have no fear, you know what happened? They looked up and they saw Jesus only. It was only Jesus. The, the law had faded away. Moses had faded away. The prophets, Elijah, faded away, and they saw their Savior only. He was with them on their mountaintop, and he was with them when they went down the mountain. And church, he's here with us now by his Spirit. And one day he is going to come back for his people, and we're going to worship him for eternity with an ever-increasing joy Further up, further in, we, we get to see God face to face, and we get to respond then, not in fear, but, but in a, a ferocious explosion of praise and worship and adoration and thanksgiving. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords, and he is worthy of our praise. And as we continue to go through this service and as we get to partake in communion, as we get to sing to our great God and King, we are practicing for eternity. Because although, Lord willing, if he tarries, we will leave these walls. 
And he will call us yet again. But as we leave, as he sends us out as a picture of the, the, the great commission to go and proclaim and make disciples of all nations, he'll gather us once again. And if Sunday comes around, he'll gather us as a picture of that great day. But one day he will gather us to worship him in spirit and in truth forever. And oh, what a day that's going to be. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us now. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that, that you were both the Son of God and Son of Man. And Lord, would you forgive us for where we don't see you as both? Lord, it's so hard for us at times to kind of hold that intention, to, to hold those balanced. But, but Lord, what a, what a beautiful thing it is to be able to do that. To know, Jesus, you were the suffering son of man. You know what it is that I'm walking through. You know the hardships. You know the sufferings that I'm walking through. But you also know that there is coming a day when there will no longer be suffering. There will no longer be tears. There will no longer be sadness because everything sad is going to come untrue. And so we cry out with all creation, come, Lord Jesus. And until then, might we be on mission? Might we be the people that are, that are ferocious about explaining and, and proclaiming that there is hope? There is joy. There is love, and love has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Spirit, would you help us to exalt the name of Jesus would you help us in our lives, in our daily lives, as we go throughout our tasks, as mundane as they may be, would you help us to view your work that you are doing through us as holy? Would you help us, Lord? And would you be exalted, Jesus? We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.